0: labs are one of the great areas of innovation in healthcare. And so how do we create a regulatory environment that promotes, uh, that promotes innovation and ensures that it's actually sustainable through reimbursement, but also most importantly, safe for Americans.
1: The Medical Alley podcast is brought to you by MentorMate. MentorMate empowers healthcare clients to deliver on their mission and transform the human experience through technology. For over 20 years, clients have trusted MentorMate to guide their vision, design innovative products, and build secure solutions while understanding the specific nuances of their industry. MentorMate's global team in the U.S., Eastern Europe, and Latin America helps clients in all sectors of healthcare transform their organizations. From Fortune 500 pharmaceutical companies and commercial payers to hospital systems, medical device manufacturers, and beyond. Learn more at MentorMate.com healthcare. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to everyone out there in Medical Alley. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Medical Alley podcast. I'm very excited today that we're to be joined again by Dr. Bill Maurice, who is the CEO of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. And we're to talk about a a topic that is near and dear to my heart, namely public policy and its relation to laboratory medicine, laboratory diagnostics, and some of the things that are happening out in the world today. So Dr. Maurice, thank you so much for joining us again.
0: Well, Frank, thank you for having me on again.
1: Yeah, right on. Well, the you know place I want to start is kind of just set the stage a little bit. Uh, we know that diagnostics in laboratory medicine was fundamental to getting through or however we've got through uh, the pandemic. I'm curious, could you talk about from, from your position, from your experience, what surprised you the most about how the laboratory diagnostic community responded to the COVID-19 pandemic?
0: I guess what uh, in well in retrospect, um, what surprised me the most really was our ability to to really just respond as quickly as we did right. um, as as a country uh, in response to what was an unprecedented situation in terms of one day a test doesn't exist, the next day you have President Trump out there saying every American that needs a test is going to get a test, and you know it was just you know the labs are, are tend to be a pretty heavily regulated area of medicine. In mm-hmm. fact more heavily regulated there's a and there's of course the manufacturers of the test as well as the labs that run the tests like Mayo clinic labs and our lab medicine and pathology department and it took such a union of forces uh, to come together to respond as we did and you know looking back that we were able to to forge those relationships so quickly and then act cohesively really is I mean, and it felt slow and i know there was tests there were times when the test availability was really through really most of 2020 it was tough but it still in all um, the the ability of of really the labs the manufacturers and I would say the federal government both yeah. in terms of reimbursement policy as well as regulatory policy and in, and the FDA that that's really was pretty astounding you know um, and and looking back on it
1: yeah indeed and it it is amazing to think back that I can remember in 2020 that did it felt slow but in hindsight it it was as they as the project was described. It was warp speed. How fast the entire community responded, rallied around the issue. Are there lessons that we've learned out of that that you see continuing to influence what we're doing in the diagnostic space?
0: Yeah, I think there's there are some. Uh, hopefully, we will. I mean, one of the things we have to really watch out for, all of us and myself included, is just uh, you know the COVID fatigue factor of really oh. wanting to move on, you know, and I, we can't lose those lessons because they were very, they're, it's hard earned. Right. And we don't want to let that that go fallow. So, um, I think there's a couple, I, I think number one, the regulatory environment really, and the policy environment is really geared towards protecting, uh, protecting Americans, which is and Minnesotans and anyone who's listening. And that's great. But there, you know, can we strike a, a good balance that allows for innovation, and more kind of more speed of getting things out to market as well as keeping people safe. I think that's mm-hmm. something there's lessons learned there that there's probably balance to be struck and it can be struck much more uh, readily if we work uh, more closely across different domains in both the public and private sector. The other was that, you know, we stood up testing rapidly, um, as we talked about, um, but it wasn't as it wasn't rapid for everybody. And I go back to one of the, sort of the seminal moments for me early in the pandemic, we had. Uh, As we were one of the first labs in the country to have high throughput testing in collaboration with Roche, who had the first high throughput EUA platform, um, there was an article in the Star Tribune. And I was in my office late at night or, you know, yeah, it was late at night and uh, kind of just catching up on things and kind of catching up on my email. And uh, I had an email from uh, a representative from one of the tribal nations here in the state of Minnesota, you know, just saying, I saw you have testing. Um, Can you please get testing to us? We have a lot of our our, in our community are at risk because they have health conditions. They also tend to live in communal settings, you know, um, multifamily dwellings. And immediately we looked to respond. And it was very difficult because the infrastructure just was not in place to get testing out there easily. And I think the other lesson learned here is that we really had to be investing in infrastructure that reaches everyone who needs access to diagnostics, which is everybody. And I think to really be mindful about that as we come out of this uh, is is really important.
1: Oh, yeah, that very well said. And I I just I want to echo that for our listeners. You know, many years ago now, uh, Medical Alley worked on a project with the uh, therapeutic device industry around regulatory science, where we had realized product approvals were slowing down as technology advanced, and that was impacting public health and it took the FDA, CMS and the device industry working together to figure out new ways to prove safety and efficacy cuz that's paramount but also speed up getting those products to market and benefiting patients what you just said about infrastructure i think might be that that next project that next realm we all have to work on that we may be able to develop amazing technologies but if we can't get them to the people that have the need, which often is related to public health infrastructure, we risk repeating the mistakes we had in the last couple of years. So I, I really appreciate you bringing up the tribal nation challenges there.
0: Yeah, well, it stuck with me, that's for sure. Um, and and then look, and the other thing COVID has taught us is that we are well interconnected, you know, irrespective yes. of the origin of the virus. It started in China, in a city in China that I visited, but probably just about very few Americans have. And yet, look, it quickly impacted the whole globe. Indeed. So, uh, so our health collectively is interconnected.
1: Right on. Well, and so then you know from that, from the what we've learned, things we've built, these new technologies that have developed, what what sort of capabilities then have we retained? Obviously, there's still things we need to work on, but what do we have today that we didn't have? You know, now call it two and a half, three years ago.
0: Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. Um, Again, there was a global effort that I was a part of to try and get COVID testing out, access to COVID testing in a variety of resource settings, um, in in particularly low and middle income countries. And another experience I had as part of that uh, work, it was with collaboration with a number of global entities, was talking to people from the African continent. And there was was a country in South, I believe it was South Africa, um, that had a capability of 19,000 tests a day for the whole country when we were running 18,000 tests a day just for Mayo Clinic. Oh, wow. so a big part of the solution there was actually just developing a lot of investment in in at-home testing, both the technologies themselves, which have existed for a long time, and the manufacturing base. So that's something we have much more of now in terms of self-collection and self-testing. Uh, you know, and what does that mean going forward? There are 400, over 400 tests in the U.S. that got EUA for self-collection or at-home testing. You know, how many of those are going to be around for the long term? Uh, that's really one. The other is, I think, first, I'll be mindful for, of, uh, I should say, is that our governments, the U.S. included, uh, made massive investments in, Growing testing infrastructure uh, for some manufacturers, their install base grew globally over thirty percent. Wow. And so, how how do we want those? Do we want those to be like you hear stories about airplanes? that get put in the out in the desert, you know, uh, to, right. to to kind of just because they're because it's not the passengers. Or do we really think? Well, the whole pandemic started a uh, big a big part of the accelerant, I should say, was the lack of access to testing. And so, how should we think about that? How should we challenge? Uh, the healthcare system to think about the investment that we've all supported as taxpayers um in, in diagnostic infrastructure
1: you know well and i'd ask you on that one you know, what would you recommend or how would you recommend we think about that cuz i could see that coming to fore if the those inf- that asset that infrastructure lays fallow for too long and another crisis comes up big or small we have to go through this whole thing again and we lose a lot of time as a result so what what would you recommend we as citizens or we as policymakers think about?
0: Well, I, you know, from our perspective at Mayo Clinic, uh, really with Dr. Faruja as our as our CEO of the overall organization, it's really start. if you think about, we talked about testing in COVID and it's just an example. We talked a lot about individual tests and at-home tests and in-lab tests, a PCR, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we really need to start to evolve our thinking to say, What is that diagnostic ecosystem that needs to exist to support people, right? So because the reality is that more at-home testing actually probably creates a need for more in-lab testing when you need confirmation, going back to thinking about, you know, when you had to get a PCR confirmed, COVID test confirmed, et cetera, right? So I think it really falls onto healthcare. And on to policymakers um, to really think about how do we create a diagnostic ecosystem that really works for people. So you don't have people waiting in line in their cars uh, to get a test, and, you, and it's really it's easy for someone to go from an at-home test to an in-lab test when it's needed.
1: Well, and I have to imagine, obviously, in your work with Mayo Clinic Laboratories, you're influencing the the healthcare and the technology side of that. But I also know you recently were reelected the board chair of the American Clinical Laboratory Association. And I say as an association professional, thank you for volunteering your time. What role does ACLA and other groups like that play in helping to drive that sort of path forward or set up a regulatory environment that, you know, helps us avoid these challenges in the future?
0: Well, first of all, it it was really an honor. Um, to be elected the the chair of the board of the American Clinical Laboratory Association or ACLA um, because it's an organization that represents over 40 of the leading clinical laboratories in this country. So I mean, and it so it really is a, a great honor for me. And as particularly as, as someone who spent their career in laboratory medicine as a pathologist here at Mayo Clinic, is to make sure that that um, we have policies in place that support the high quality delivery of diagnostic care to. to to everybody, right? To all American citizens. And so, so that's really, it's an honor. And I think it's also really important for us because if you look at laboratory testing, one of the challenges that we have in testing in general is, is it very it's very fragmented. Mm-hmm. Over half the testing happens in the hospitals, but there's still an important role of commercial labs and there's private labs and independent labs. And so it's very difficult sometimes for policymakers to have sort of a holistic view uh, of our profession or the, of our capability. So it's really important that we have an association like ACLA that can, that can help identify what are some of the priority issues for our industry that really we need to work collaboratively with government to make sure that they're addressed, you know, and that really fits for sustainable reimbursement. The things we just talked about, preparedness infrastructure, do we have enough infrastructure in place to support American health? And then, you know, last but not least, of course, regulation, the labs are one of the great areas of innovation in healthcare. And so how do we create a regulatory environment that promotes, That promotes innovation and ensures that it's actually sustainable through reimbursement, but also most importantly, safe for Americans.
1: Indeed. Well, and and to that end, you know, are there any key policy or regulatory issues that ACLA is following right now that maybe for our broader audience that is impacted and benefits from the diagnostic community may want to be aware of?
0: Yeah, there's a few. Um, There's uh, first of all, there's reimbursement. So the uh, about, I guess. It was about 10 years ago, the uh, PAMA, Protection to Access to Medicare Act, was passed. That was uh, to have market-based pricing for, for, for clinical tests uh, to move, to kind of modernize the clinical lab fee schedule. Unfortunately, the way that that, that legislation was implemented by CMS uh, had some flaws and really mm-hmm. led to, could have really significant uh, cuts. We have had uh, delays in those cuts to reimbursement have been through the pandemic we got congress to agree to delay cuts but right now we're looking at at the end of this year uh we would have like a 15 percent cut from to, to, for most of the lab tests oh, wow. which would make it really difficult for labs to survive and so there's a bill that's been introduced in congress called salsa uh it's not associated <laughs> with chips it would be cool if we had a chips bill too but the salsa is saving access to laboratory services act um which will really it, honestly, all it really proposes is that is that a, a legislative solution to how the original bill was implemented so that it is more of a market representation and is more sustainable. So that's really important um, because it, number one, if labs can't stay open, it really starts to impact access to the diagnostics, which we just talked about. But the other concern is that labs are a major pillar of hospital financial sustainability, mm-hmm. um, along with radiology and procedures. And so uh, you know, you have up to 75% of the non-for-profit hospitals in this, in the, in this country are at risk of, of, of being underwater financially this year. And of course, hits most rural and urban, what we call urban healthcare deserts. And so it really is important for access, not just to test, but to healthcare, because it's part of the sustainability of community hospitals. So that's a huge one for us. Other things we're looking at is the reintroduction of VALID, which is the the, the legislative Act or legislative package for to for FDA to regulate laboratory developed tests, and last but not least, there is a move to for modernization of CLIA, uh, which is really this, the the legislation that allows CMS to regulate laboratories. And again, that's that has not been updated for decades, and the lab is a very fast moving area. So we're focused on trying to contribute to the modernization of that. And it, of course, the always the thing with any legislative solution is that you have to strike the right balance to solving the problem that you're trying to solve without creating too many new ones.
1: So true, so true. And as I hear you describe those issues, you know, they they sound similar to the challenges we're hearing from other parts of healthcare, which I think is, you know, reflective of the transformation that's happening all across healthcare, both before the pandemic and as a result of it. For those, you know, in the grassroots, the the lab practitioners, the individual doctors and others, what would you say to them? How they could stay engaged, how they could contribute to the dialogue and the debate, and you know, positively advocate for these changes.
0: Well, I think it is—it really is a a matter of number one, staying engaged. Your point, and number two, to really do so through through groups like ACLA or or CAP or other professional associations, uh, because that gives us amplifies our voice. Again, you know, this kind of situation where you have lots of a lot of of, uh, fragmentation makes it difficult sometimes for any single voice to, to be heard. But uh, there are things that are underway now. There's a stop lab cuts now. Uh, I think it's a you can get to the website. It's uh, through ACLA, but it actually allows you to send, you know, a, a letter to your representatives in Congress about please pay attention to this. It's really important right. to us for healthcare stuff like that. I think the get engaged with professional societies. The other thing I would say is to really get informed. If you want to get engaged, also really get informed. Um, there was, uh, you know, even last year with the FDA, with the Valid Act, which I suggested, or excuse me, referred to, there was probably a lot of nuance there that was actually helpful to labs. It could provide some some clarity going forward so that so that we don't have, as you know, regulation is another one that's a bit of, you have to strike the right balance because right. too much, of course, dampens innovation. But not enough also dampens innovation because then people who want to invest in innovation just don't have a clear path to market. Right. So, So you just be informed uh, on what's out there and understand uh, the positions and then get engaged uh, and be vocal.
1: Right on. And, And thank you for saying that. And I'll add one more for our listeners, which is to say also be understanding of our legislators that they are by nature generalists and all of us are specialists in our respective fields. And so finding a way to translate that, that deep knowledge that you need to craft good regulation, good reimbursement policy. For an audience that right has to cover these issues and a million and one others, it's a great skill, but it's great importance to all of us to make sure there is good policy and that we can have good public health.
0: Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that up, too. I mean, again, you have to these people and their staffers um, that are serving us through participation in government. They're dealing with with a panoply of issues, right? And and labs can get very complicated very quickly. So spend some time to really distill down your messages into into something that's concise and understandable is really important. And I think there are tools out there, uh, you know, that you can use to help you do that.
1: Indeed. Well, and last thing I'll ask you, you know, you know, we have an audience that covers all segments of healthcare, including the laboratory medicine space. To the the rest of the the technology, the healthcare, and the payer community that might be listening, what might you say to them in closing? In how they can partner with the lab medicine community to advance public health?
0: Well, I, I guess it's really it's it's us in the laboratory collaborating with others in healthcare to really understand what the laboratory is, and really, in, in essence, we tend to think about it in the singularity of tests, like a COVID test. The reality is that you know seventy to eighty percent of the quantitative data in anyone's health record comes out of the laboratories wow. and it probably drives about 75% of medical decisions. So we really have to think about laboratory medicine and diagnostics more broadly, because the other thing we haven't even touched on is the whole emergence of wearables mm. as diagnostics, which is really going to change things again. So to think about the data that those things create and the value that those contribute to healthcare, um, let's to think about that from a more holistic sense because then it will, number one, it will serve patients better. They won't be dealing with individual pieces of information and trying to make sense of it. We can be focused on making it sense for them by bringing that into a a more collective whole. And then also it makes for easier for everyone participating. I mean, payers will tell you um, that there's now a lot of prior authorization around expensive tests Because they just don't understand, they don't have clarity about how those are being used to drive care decisions. So it's not that they don't want to pay, but a payer has to understand how those things are creating value for patients. So again, to think about the labs and about, A, think about diagnostics more broadly, it's getting beyond laboratories to devices and things that are in people's homes, and B, to think about all that data coming together and being used to drive healthcare forward, uh, not just in the lab, but definitely outside the lab as well.
1: Thank you. I I really appreciate that. the communications, the coordination, the sharing of knowledge is so important. And I think you gave us the idea for what might be podcast number three, looking at the wearable and at-home diagnostics. So we may be calling on you again.
0: Oh, I'd love to I'd love to do it. So absolutely. And we haven't, uh, hopefully, maybe the wild will still be playing. Um, <laughs> maybe not. So I saw you made the list for the, for the 100 people to know on the Twin Cities Business Magazine. So congrats on that. Oh, for thank sure. you. So, uh, but, uh, I was, I was really pleased very well-deserved. So, oh, uh, thank but you. yeah, I'm happy to come on anytime. I think that, you know, I'm passionate about the labs, a Mayo Clinic really believes in the future of this. That's why we've put me into the position I'm in now as CEO of Mayo Clinic Laboratory. So happy to come on anytime. And your thoughts.
1: Perfect. Thank you. On Dr. Maurice, we really appreciate you taking time and being on the podcast.
0: And I appreciate you having me.
1: Thank you, folks. That's been another episode of the Medical Alley podcast. If you're not already a subscriber, make sure you get over to medicalalleypodcast.org or you can find us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcast fix. And hey, would you do me a little favor? Would you share this episode with just one person? You'd help share this story and so many other great stories coming out of Medical Alley. If you did that, I'd really appreciate it. Until next time, have a great day.